0: Welcome to the Michigan Man Podcast on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's maze & Brew, for Wolverine fans from coast to coast. Go Blue and welcome to the show, I'm Mike Fitzpatrick. A win at Minnesota on Sunday night would have bolstered Michigan's NCAA tournament hopes. Instead, we enter this final four-game stretch knowing we have to go 3-1, and one or at the minimum 2-2, and if we want to stay in the conversation. Beat writer Brendan Quinn from MLive joins me on our game day segment in just a moment with his thoughts on the final weeks of the season. First, a few news and notes to get us going. Michigan may have found a tenth assistant coach if the rule ever passes. In the meantime, Michigan coach Jim Harbaugh has reportedly hired Minnesota Vikings quarterback coach Scott Turner as an offensive analyst. The news was first reported earlier this week by Sports Illustrated. Turner, the son of longtime NFL coach Norv Turner, was the Vikings quarterback coach from 2014 to 16. Prior to that, he coached wide receivers for the Cleveland Browns in 2013. The 34-year-old Turner was also a staffer at Pittsburgh from 2008 to 2010. His first NFL job was as a quality control coach for the Carolina Panthers in 2011. Michigan will have a national best 14 players at the NFL Combine in Indianapolis next week. 14 players is also a program record and could lead to the largest draft class the schools had in the seven-round era. According to NCAA bracketologists, Michigan is still on the bubble heading into this week's action. Wednesday night's game at Rutgers, it's a must-win. And a win in the home finale against Purdue could put us in. Then, of course, there are road games next week at Northwestern and Nebraska to end the regular season. Beat writer Brendan Quinn from Live says, as of today, Michigan is in the tournament. That's if the season ended today. The reality is this team needs two, maybe three wins to get in. He joins me next here on The Michigan Man on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maize & Brew. on our game day segment this week. Michigan beat writer Brendan Quinn from Live in to uh, talk about that disappointing game in Minnesota on Sunday night. And Brendan, fresh off the plane back from Minneapolis. Thanks for joining us, Brendan. Great to be with you, Mike, as always, man. Well, what a foul fest Sunday night against the Golden Gophers. Uh, Brendan, hard to imagine for a team like Michigan coming in averaging 9.5 or whatever fouls it was uh, against them a game and getting whistled like that.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was, it was like watching a different program in, in every way, you know, not only the, the amount of fouls called on Michigan, but then the other way, seeing them go nine for 18 from the line themselves, um, just totally uncharacteristic, uh, really odd. And you can mark it up to a road, a uh, road experience or a, um, the, the goofiness of kind of, of, of the sight lines at Williams or you know with the elevated floor. I have no idea, but for the team that's ranked fourth in the country in free throw shooting at 79% to go nine for 18 uh, was pretty bizarre. You know, Derek Walton missing three straight. I mean, I don't, I'd have to look it up, but I don't know if he's ever done that in his you know, 130 game career, or whatever it's been, but it's, it was just, a, they, they never seemed to really kind of get in sync in a, in a number of ways because of the fouls and because of the missed free throws. But then even at the same time, you know, in the second half, they 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 managed to score one point three points per possession. I mean the offense was quick, and they made eighteen of thirty three shots um It was a very strange game, very, very strange
0: game. It really was a strange game. When you look at the stats after the game, uh, I believe Minnesota shot 41 uh, times from the free throw line, Michigan. Mm -hmm. We talked about Michigan's woes, yeah, 50%, which is mind-boggling, but it was 9 of 18, I believe, were the final numbers from the charity strikes for Michigan. And despite being on the road, despite uh, what was questionable officiating, I, I suppose you could say on both sides, they still had a chance.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's one of the the good things that you can take away from this. I, I, I you know I, I was not really I wasn't expecting Michigan to to win that game. It's um, it was basically a coin flip, and you know you usually go with the home team on a coin flip. Um, but I, I thought it was good for them to be in a game that kind of came down to the final possession like that, um, because odds are you know as they try to close out this thing and secure an NCAA bid, they're, they're going to be in this situation again, and You know, I I think that they would walk away with some confidence that they can they can make the plays that matter at winning time um, in a situation like that. And uh, the other extenuating circumstances probably will not be replicated this year. Um, You know, when I went through the numbers late last night, um, those were both records for the program under John Beeline um, by pretty significant margins. Without having it in front of me, I believe the most free throws they ever uh, had taken against them uh, or, you know, opponent free throws allowed was 31. And they had 41 last night. Um, The most fouls ever committed by a John Beeline Michigan team, this is over 10 years, was 24, I believe. Right. And last night they were called for 27 personal fouls. Uh, They had 28 fouls total if you count the technical with it. So, you know, those those things probably won't happen again, but they will be in a situation like you saw last night where, you know, have to get a basket on a late possession. And and they did do that even on some broken plays. So, you know, I agree with you. I think that 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 their resilience um, and and their ability to make some some really clutch plays is something that can probably carried forward.
0: Uh, another thing on a, on a night of oddities, uh, Michigan oddly enough outscores Minnesota in the paint. Uh, they did a really nice job, especially in the second half, attacking that Big go for front, didn't they? They did
1: a lot of it. I think a lot of it helped because <laughs> Reggie Lynch, for all the foul trouble that Michigan was in, Reggie Lynch was in foul trouble for uh, Minnesota. He's among the nation's best shot blockers, and he only played thirteen minutes. A lot of that was to do with uh, with Moritz Wagner being such a matchup problem with him. But yeah, they you know they they were able to get in and, and get baskets early in the second half without being reliant on three pointers, and they really attacked the basket. They got a variety of layups. Uh, you know, I remember a uh, like a baseline drive by by Muhammad Ali Abdul Rockman that that kind of got them going. Uh, Derek Walton started going to the basket more, and this is something that you've seen a few times here, where where when they start early going to the basket, it seems to you know get the offense started. A little faster um, than in other instances. If you go back to that Indiana game, uh, when they put up 90 points, I, if if I remember correctly, they had it was about eight eight of their first ten field goals or so were were going to the basket, um, as opposed to other games where they kind of get a little comfortable jump shooting. I think if they played a full obviously obviously if they played a full 40 uh, against Minnesota the way they did in that second half, that's not a game they would have they would have won that thing.
0: Well, in the end, as we said, it was a loss. But uh, as we also said, there was a lot of positive uh, things to take from that effort, Brendan. One of them is uh, Mo Wagner. He he just seems like he is ready to take his play to another level now.
1: Yeah, I mean, the more and more NBA scouts are kind of raising an eyebrow and, and watching him. He is uh, his skill set is, is is pretty special. Um, his his ability to handle the ball uh, at his size and and go to the basket. And, you know, that's – I mean, Reggie Lynch is one of the elite defenders in the Big Ten, and, I mean, Wagner just went right at him and had very little problem getting right around him, totally neutralized his shot blocking. Um, And he can do that to a lot of guys. He did to Thomas Bryant, Uh, if you recall, was able to pull him out. You know, not only the stuff that he's able to do one-on-one with him, but he's able to pull centers like that out of the lane and then open things up even more for the defense, you know, when, when you see a guy like Duncan Robinson, who's not the quickest guy, uh, be able to convert some layups on back cuts, you know, a lot of that comes because Mo Wagner's standing out in the perimeter and has the team's center, you know, 18 feet from the basket. So when Duncan Robinson cuts through, there's not a shot blocker standing there waiting for him. Um, you know, these are all the things that, that Wagner does and brings to this team that are really special, really unique the sky is the limit for that guy. Um, he can do so many things. You know, he hits those back-to-back three-pointers against Minnesota in the first half uh, that really kind of plugged the bleeding when the offense went, I think, five minutes, 46 seconds without a field goal. Um, and then bang, bang, he hits two threes, totally changes the dynamic of the first half. He is he is special. You know, it looks like even, I would imagine, John Bieland still just trying to figure out even more ways to put him in in position to go attack teams because he can do so many different things.
0: You know, I was talking to Terry Mills a couple of weeks ago on this show, and he said one of the things that he didn't like about this team is there just didn't seem to be one guy that said, get me the ball, give me the ball, that could really get something mm-hmm. done. Mo seems to be that kind of guy. Now, he wants the ball, and he has confidence level. You can just see it going up every game.
1: I mean, Mo, Mo is dead. I, I would argue, I think I think Derek Walton Jr. is in that in that area right now. Um, you know, Zach Irvin always wants to take the shot, but his, yeah. his confidence in his shot right now is not where, uh, not where you want it to be. But, uh, I mean, I, down the stretch against Minnesota, uh, Derek Walton, once again, I think, you know, he wanted the ball in his hands and he made some things happen. Um, you know, he's, he's been really strong going to the basket for I, – I know that you and I have talked about over the years his two-point shooting percentage, um, his inability to finish in the lane when he got there. Uh, he's really kind of transformed himself here in the latter parts of his senior year, um, and I, I think at times that is their best offense because despite last night, he is such a good free throw shooter that you want him going to the basket because it's it is a reliable option. And you know Mo Wagner for as good as he is, and you know you can talk about all you can talk about him all day. His skill set, he can be a little loose with the ball. He can be a little loose with the ball. Um, sometimes there going to be a turnover. Sometimes there can be a little questionable uh decision making. Right now I don't know how confident John Beeline is would be to, to put the ball in his hand, you know, say with, with one minute left in the game and you gotta have a basket. You know, those look at it this way, when late in the game last night, Wagner was out, but I don't I don't think plays would have been drawn up for him. He was still drawing up plays for Duncan Robinson trying to get him him threes. he's always going to go for, with the percentages
0: well you and I have talked about Derek Walton as you mentioned for the last few years so you know waiting for him to put it all together and I suppose better late than never he is playing some big time point guard right now uh, over the last four or five weeks hasn't he
1: yeah I, I would actually I would love to see Michigan and Minnesota play again um because I feel like we got a little bit short changed on uh Walton versus Mason um, you know, two just great uh, guys who are just playing great basketball right now. Mason uh, is a junior, Walton's a senior, so we, we might not see it again. But um, yeah, they went one for ten, I think, combined in the first half. Just neither really ever got going early, and then kind of then they started trading baskets a little bit in the second half and going at each other. But yeah, I mean, Walton, Walton right now is kind of played himself into the conversation of you know very quietly the league has. Pr- some pretty solid point guard play when you look at Melo Trimble, Bryant McIntosh, uh, Mason, and, and Walton um, to kind of circle a few. And then Bronson Koenig, obviously, you can put in there. Um, and Walton, I think, is in that conversation right now. And, and that's kind of the conversation everyone always wanted him to be in. I mean, I, I remember uh, – it's been joked about a number of times. I, I voted him first team all Big Ten um, in the preseason going into his sophomore year. I mean, I thought that he had um, – you know, limitless potential, and I, I really liked his the way that he can control games. And I liked his change of pace stuff that he could do, and I liked his ability to get into the, into the lane, and I liked, uh, you know, his, he has the shooting percentages of, of a shooting guard uh, when it comes to three-point distance, and I, o- I always thought that he kind of had this guy in him, um, and it's been good to see that, that I think he kind of needed to believe that he could be that good, and John Beline said that, I believe, after the Michigan State game that, he kind of came to the realization that he might actually be the best player on this team, which is interesting because I think a long time a lot of people thought that he was going to be the best player on the team, and apparently he was not one of them. Sometimes all it takes is confidence.
0: Oh, you're right about that, and I don't know if you had a chance to see the journey on BTN after the game. Um, probably not, but it was it was a very good segment with on Michigan on Derek Walton Jr. and John Beeline was saying he thinks that Derek has had a great career at Michigan and. That he is one of the most underappreciated point guards uh, mm-hmm. in the country right now. Do you go along with that?
1: Um, that's hard to say. End of the day, if you look at in non-conference play, I mean, he wasn't that great per se. It, it wasn't. If anything, it was still it was still the the constant conversation of can Derek match Zach's play at that point, right? Because Zach Irvin was kind of the more consistent guy uh, from game to game in the, in the middle of the schedule. You know, latter part of non-conference play, early part of Big Ten play, Zach Irvin was playing better than Derek Walton. Now, Walton was steady and producing and doing things, but, you know, Irvin seemed to be playing some of the best basketball of his career, not Walton. And now, obviously, that's flip flopped which is, I'm sure, confounding (laughs) for John (laughs) Beline. But over the last few weeks, uh, yes, Walton has probably been amongst the most productive point guards in the country. Um, Is he underrated? I don't know, he's kind of had four years to prove himself, I would say.
0: Yeah, the way he's playing right now, I'm sort of at the point watching this team where you've got the Wagners and a lot of the younger players starting to step up and play better. But to me, moving forward through the next four weeks, the Big Ten tournament and whatever is next, I think this team goes as far as Derek Walton carries it.
1: I think that's probably fair to say. There's obviously some caveats to that. Um, you know, This team is a lot better when DJ Wilson is very active. And there are still stretches of times, there are halves, full halves of basketball where BJ kind of is just out there, um, you know, and he's not, he's not playing at the rim uh, on on both sides. You know, that's kind of the, the thing. I, I almost feel like someone needs to grab him right before the opening tip and say, you know, I want you at, I want you at the rim on both sides all game today, and go do it. Because um, sometimes he's, he just doesn't use his athleticism that much, and he kind of is just. He kind of defaults into that floating around the perimeter mode because um, when he is at his most active that's that's when I think that the team really really looks good. it makes Wagner that much better, uh, and then it really opens up things on the perimeter for for those open jump shooters so yeah but but you know when when Walton's at their best at his best it's it's pretty clear that this team kind of has another level to it.
0: Well, speaking of DJ Wilson, you're right. He he seems to just sort of disappear for periods of time during the game. But uh, overall, another kid who's really beginning to come into his own. Those two long-range jumpers uh, late in the game last night were just a sight to behold, Brendan.
1: <laughs> oh, well, yes. Yes, they were. Um, <laughs> and and you forget, the because of the, the two threes that he made, you know he made that basket with uh, I think it was about 18 seconds left or so. Uh, they're down three. Had an inbounds play on the sideline, if I remember correctly, uh, that was drawn up. And interestingly enough, Beeline put the ball in Wilson's hands with the job of making the decision of what to do. The play was for for him to catch the ball. They ran off ball screens for Duncan Robinson and Walton, both going for um, open spots for threes. And Wilson needed to make the decision to either pass or if those spots were not there or those options were not there, he was then to go immediately to the basket and try to score a quick two. Uh, and he executed it perfectly. Um, and Beeline wanted a foul on the play, which could have tied it right then and there, uh, but didn't get the call and he continued to <laughs>
0: uh,
1: <laughs> kind of lose his mind on the sideline there. <laughs> but, but yeah, you know, I thought that was even more indicative of the kind of the growth of Wilson than even those three pointers. Cause those three pointers, I mean, they were great shots, but, you know, no one, no one is drawing up the 30-foot three-pointer for DJ Wilson to tie a game. That was more of a... Uh, you know, Beeline said very nicely in the post-game press conference that he took that shot off of a residual. Uh, that just meant that the ball did not go where it was supposed to be on that, on that play. Um, and, but Wilson, to his credit, you know, he, he collected himself. He didn't just chuck it. You know, that was a shooter taking a shot, for sure. Um, and he, you know, he... He collected himself when he saw the clock going down, and he took a pure shot, and uh, and he drained that thing. I mean, that was a no doubt about it. He just he knocked that thing down, and then now the other one in overtime. It's just it just shows how much skill he has. And the most curious question at this point, obviously, there's still a few weeks left in the season, uh, and anything can happen. But you know, the the biggest question that I wonder about right now is what could this offseason season behold or hold for uh, for Wilson and Wagner because. You know, if they can, if they can take another step, uh, they could be really, really interesting.
0: Well, let's talk about Zach Irvin for a minute. I mean, he put up double figures um, again last night. I think he had 10 points. Uh, he got to a point mm-hmm. in the game, though, where, where late when I was watching, it, and Zach would have the ball, and I'd say, "No, Zach, don't." Uh, it it's yeah. just obvious he was so out of sync again. Man, these last four games, heading into the Big Ten tournament, if they can get him in any kind of sync. That's a huge plus.
1: And I thought he had it. You know, I thought he had it a little bit coming out of that Wisconsin game. I thought he played well against Wisconsin, and you know, he hit some shots to kind of get the weight off of his shoulders. Um, you know, banked in that three, and even just, and he even hit some pull-up jumpers where he kind of looked like the guy that you, you remember from January when he really was playing well. You know, I've maintained that this is just a guy in a slump. I th- I still think Zach just kind of at this point needs to. Needs to be a little bit more willing to step back and be more of a of a facilitator and, and realize that you know unless unless it's unless it's there 100 percent that he, he doesn't need to be pulling the trigger right now because at the same time he I mean he has to play you know, I get I get people anytime he misses a shot my Twitter feed gets gets bombarded with people saying <laughs> that he needs to sit they need to start Duncan Robinson and this that and the other thing and uh, I mean I, I I get it I get it that you know it's easy for a fan to have. Uh, a, a quick trigger on those things but you know this team's end game this team's uh potential includes Zach Irvin being a solid player for 32 minutes a game at least they desperately need him and they have very little behind him w- like what are you going to do you're going to play uh Duncan Robinson 35 minutes I don't think so you're gonna play Ibby Watson he's not ready Irvin Irvin needs to be a senior he needs to have a senior moment right now um and needs to come pretty quickly so I still, I think he's probably thinking the same thing himself. He is as confident a guy as you'll meet. He always says the right thing. He always believes in himself fully. And we'll see because it'd be tough to see him go through the rest of his games in the current state of, you know, you're just seeing a guy who looks like his, you know, looks like his shoes are on the wrong feet.
0: Absolutely right. Uh, <laughs> I, I was hoping against Minnesota what we would see is it would seem to get him going against Wisconsin as he started attacking uh, the lane. Yeah. Got something going uh, inside, and that seemed to uh, generate his outga- outside game or at least his confidence. He didn't do a lot of that, not a lot of it, against Minnesota. And to me, that's really maybe the key for Zach. Take it to the hole a little more, even mm-hmm. earlier. You know,
1: and some of it might have been the defensive matchup if I, you know, I haven't rewatched the game yet, but I believe. I believe Amir Coffey was on him most mm-hmm. of the night. And he's a six-eight guy with real long arms who's quicker than Zach. That's, that's a tough defensive matchup for him. Someone who's bigger and longer and quicker is not good for Zach Irvin to have to go against. You know, when he can kind of get matched up on a, another true small forward, that's when he is a little bit more able to do what he does well. So, you know, maybe it was a matchup problem. I don't know. But, um, you know, it'll be, if you're looking for him to maybe knock down some shots, a trip to Rutgers might help.
0: With <laughs> us here on our Game Day segment this week, rehashing the very tough loss to Minnesota on Sunday night, uh, Michigan beat writer Brendan Quinn from M Live. Well, it was a heartbreaker. Uh, The team has to move past that. Certainly, though, Brendan, it doesn't have to be the dagger for Michigan's NCAA tournament hopes. Uh, This week, got to take care of business, as you said, Wednesday against a bad Rutgers team. And then Mm -hmm. senior day at Chrysler on Saturday with Purdue in town. That is huge. Yeah. And I
1: mean, you can't overlook Rutgers. They've given a number of teams a lot of trouble. They took Wisconsin overtime. Uh, they've taken another uh, a handful of teams down to the wire. Uh, they they run decent stuff on offense. They crash the boards. Uh, they do play decent defense. Uh, they can get teams out of sorts. They play hard for Steve Peichel. Um, you know. And they're they're a team that you know they're a two and whatever two and thirteen team that wants another win, right? Like it's it's mm-hmm. not a two and thirteen team. I think that's just mailing it in and just waiting to wrap things up. They they're, they're feisty. Um, You know, a guy like Corey Sanders, uh, he always plays the the chip on his shoulder. You know, he's looking to score against teams that um, probably he thinks he should have been recruited by, things like that. You know, he seems like one of those guys. It's dangerous. It's not, not, this is not Rutgers under Eddie Jordan, where, you know, they would go out there some nights and you would literally ask if they even practiced or had a coach that was being held accountable for what they were doing. They're dangerous, but you're right. I mean, the Purdue game is, you know, that's circled, highlighted exclamation point. It's, it's a massive, massive game. It's like Albrecht's return, obviously, as well. Mm-hmm. And yeah, senior day for two guys who've played a combined, like, 240 games in Irvin and Walton. Mark Denal, as well, uh, who I, I don't believe will be back for his fifth year. Um, so, I, I just saw Purdue. I was at the Michigan State-Purdue game on Saturday, and they look like a Final Four team sometimes. So, you go and post a win over those guys, that'd be really impressive, but it's going to be tough. I mean Caleb Swanigan against that front line is not a good matchup at all. <laughs> um when they go with their double big lineup and put out uh Isaac Haas who's 7'2" 280, I mean he could he he could put Mo Mo Wagner into the first row with, you know, one <laughs> one hip check. And then they got, you know, this fleet everyone everyone talks about the bigs at Purdue uh rightfully so, but they also lead the Big 10 in three-point shooting. So you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't when you go against Purdue because you, you, know, you instinctual, instinctively want to double down on those bigs. But if you leave them on the perimeter, they'll just, they'll just chew you up all day. You know, they'll go 12 for 24 on you without batting an eye from out deep. And they're really good. So you need them to be missing shots, and you need to really have a good strategy on how you're going to handle those bigs. You know, we've seen Michigan tinker with some double-team stuff um on thomas bryant and then more notably in the second half against wisconsin when they really got uh got them out of sorts with uh they did everything to ethan happened they, they sent true doubles at him, they cheated they fake doubles you know you're going to need to see a variety of that i would look for a lot of switching defenses because if purdue knows what you're doing they're gonna they're gonna go right at you and that's not that's not good you don't want
0: that Michigan 17-10, and 10, Brendan, and, you know, last night the BTN guys in the pregame show, they were saying, oh, Michigan's on the inside. Then after the game, they said no, and now they're on the outside. And they were thinking 20 wins is what probably this team needs for NCAA consideration, and that's still making them a bubble team, and that's before the Big Ten tournament. With three or four of those on uh, the road to close the season, that is more than a tall order, isn't it, Brendan? Absolutely, absolutely.
1: I still think, I still think ten. You know, I think they could be if you win. Say you win two games in the Big Ten, and you finish the regular season nine and nine in the in the league. I think it gets you in with a soft bubble. But if I'm Michigan, I would want to get to ten and eight in the league, big time. You're you're playing with fire, you know. If if you if you if you don't get to that mark, but I, I think they're in right now, but. Lots of work to do, and you know it happens every year where you see one mid-major steal a bid, you see a second mid-major steal a bid, and then that's how a team like Michigan can lose its spot or end up, you know, having to go to Dayton or doing whatever. The the way that the tournament is shaping up right now is with a soft. It's not only a soft bubble, but you know a lot of these mid-major leagues that traditionally get two or three are maybe looking at one or two. So in those in their league tournaments, all it takes is one team to go and win it and uh and it can completely change the, the picture uh for, for you know the does the big 10 get a seventh team in does the acc get a 10th team and things like that if they don't get there it's going to be on their own
0: shoulders. well that's exactly right these postseason tournaments are going to be a big player in determining for a lot of these bubble teams whether you're in whether you're out and, and you know there's this is projection week or weeks leading up to the uh the league tournaments, and then the NCAA seeding shows. But, you know, last week guys were saying, yeah, five, maybe six Big Ten teams get in. Michigan's number seven right now as we begin uh, play this week. Uh, Do you still think we're looking at, you know, six or seven Big Ten teams maybe getting in? Well, before this weekend, or actually before last week,
1: I thought it was going to be six Big Ten teams, and I was including Michigan and Michigan State. I thought Minnesota was actually going to drop off. And I don't like their their non-conference resume. And I thought that at the end of the day, even though they have a nice RPI, which is going to fall, um, I thought that their their non-conference would ultimately uh, cost them a bid. And I, I had been figuring when they uh, when they released those top 16 teams, um, I said if, if the Big Ten is not being valued enough to have a top four seed right now, that is going to show itself when – you know, one team is going to, one team is not going to get in because the top of the team, because the top of the league is considered weak. Um, that just seems like the obvious payoff to me if that's the case. Now, with Minnesota getting to its 20th win of the year, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I, I think I'm wrong. I think I was wrong. I think they're they're not going to fall off now. They, they've won five straight and they can win a couple more. Uh, so, you know, Minnesota's probably going to get in. Uh, Michigan State and Michigan are right on the line right now, no doubt. I, I still think it's probably going to be a six bid league. I don't. I just don't think the league is that good, and I don't think it's going to garner um, nearly as much uh, weight as some of the other high majors.
0: Whatever the projections are, I think we can say Michigan is uh, they're safely in control of their own destiny right now.
1: Uh, absolutely, and it's you know it's an experienced team that's already done this. Uh, you know, all these guys went through this last year. Uh, you know, they they know it's on the line, uh, and and it, it, and it's right there for them. I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility to finish out uh, three and one. You know, they, they have the talent. The the matchups aren't that bad, and and their best game is at home. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's it's a one in seven team on the uh, on the road. So if if you want to be an NCAA tournament, at some point you have to win games that NCAA tournament teams win, right? Exactly. So, you can't go one and seven on the road. You got to go win some games. You know, last night was probably a grown experience for them, and – It'll be interesting to see if they get into that situation again where, you know, game on the line in the final possession, what happens.
0: Absolutely. Big week coming up, and uh, we shall see. With us here on our game day segment this week, uh, Talking Michigan Hoops, has been beat writer Brendan Quinn from Live. Brendan, as always, thanks for uh, squeezing us into your busy schedule, and we uh, look forward to a next visit. No problem, Mike. Always a pleasure. Quick Hits is next as we wrap it up for another week here on The Michigan Man on Wolverine Sports Radio. A member of the vSporto Network, and in partnership with SB Nation's Maize & Brew. On Quick Hits today, the University of Michigan women's basketball team had the first sellout in program history, but fell to Michigan State 86-68 on Sunday afternoon at Chrysler Center. U of M more than doubled its previous attendance record of 5,991. U of M held a one-point halftime lead, but MSU used a 14-4 run in the opening moments of the third quarter to take control of the game. Michigan cut it to six points, 64-58, on a pair of free throws from freshman Kisre Gondrizic with 44 seconds left in the period. However, MSU outscored U of M in the final period, 19-10 to to seal the win. Sophomore Hallie Tome led the way for the Maize and Blue with 21 points, eight boards, and a pair of blocks in 35 minutes of action. Gondrizic chipped in 19 points and three boards, and sophomore Nicole Munger added 12 points and five rebounds in 21 minutes off the bench. U of M will conclude the home portion of its schedule this Thursday, hosting Nebraska at seven pm. Seniors Sierra Thompson and Danielle Williams will be honored before the game. Heading into this week's action, Michigan is twenty one and seven overall, ten and four in the big ten. Hockey came up short in a back and forth battle at Wisconsin six to four on Saturday night at the Kohl Center as they drop both games of the weekend series. The Mason Blue will travel to Ohio State this weekend for its final regular season road trip. Michigan split its two-game series with number no. 11 Ohio State earlier this month, taking the first game 5 to 4 and dropping the second 6 to 5. The number no. 11 ranked University of Michigan softball team closed its appearance at the annual ACC Big 10 Challenge with a bang, knocking out four home runs en route to a 9 to 2 decision against Notre Dame on Sunday morning at North Carolina State's Dale Softball Stadium. With the win, The Wolverines avenged their only loss of the weekend tournament. The Wolverines, who are 6-3, will head out west for their annual spring break trip, kicking off the five-game Mary Nutter Collegiate Classic this weekend in Palm Springs. Michigan will begin play against New Mexico State at 10.30 a.m. Pacific time on Friday. Baseball ended its 2017 season opening series with a four-game split against Seton Hall on Sunday at Tradition Field in the New York Mets spring training complex. Michigan began the day with a 10-7 victory in the completion of Saturday's suspended game before dropping the final game 8-6. The Wolverines are now 2-2 to begin the season. Michigan will return to action on Friday, heading to California for the Wolverines' annual spring break trip. The Mason Blue will kick off action at the Jack Gifford Tournament at Santa Clara, facing St. Louis. First pitch is scheduled for 1 p.m. Pacific Time. Our free show app is now available from the Google Play and iTunes stores. If you are an iHeartRadio fan, you can find us there now. Just do a search for The Michigan Man and save us to your favorites. Thanks again to Michigan beat writer Brendan Quinn from MLive for being our guest this week. That will do it for another show. I invite you to tell your friends and family about The Michigan Man, and please join us again next week. Until then, have a great Wolverine week, everyone. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. Take care. And as always, Go Blue! Thanks for joining us today on The Michigan Man, here on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V Sporto Network, and in partnership with SB Nation's Maize & Brew. Our listener lines are open 24-7 for your calls at 313-263-4842. That's 313-263-4842. Or email us at the Michigan Man Podcast at yahoo.com. That's the Michigan Man Podcast at yahoo.com. The Michigan Man Podcast is produced at the studios of Robin Lynn Productions, Allen Park, Michigan, and is not affiliated with the University of Michigan. Go Blue!